1995, I got married and graduated college all in the, within a couple of months. And Stephanie and I accepted our first ministry assignment as youth pastors in Colorado. So we left Texas and had the opportunity of serving my dad, who was the lead pastor at a church. We had a lot of dreams, excitement, could just imagine serving for years to come together. And how many of you guys know that sometimes your expectations for a church are not the same as a reality? Like, just like in a marriage or in a family or any kind of friendship where there's conflict, there's conflict in church as well. Uh, but I just had like this, this, this dream of just ministry bliss. Well, we hadn't been there six months and we saw the ugly side of ministry where, you know, relationships can be messy and people hurt each other. And we saw that and it was so unhealthy. And we saw it directly to my parents, to us. We saw betrayal. We witnessed lies and gossip. We walked into the church where there were secret meetings about each other and we were just destroyed. It wrecked us to the place where only after being there a little over a year, Stephanie and I loaded up the U-Haul and, and left town. And the last image we had in the rear view mirror of the vehicle was my dad standing in the driveway. And I can't tell you the the uh, regret I had, the remorse, I just wept bitterly all the way back home to Texas. Went back to seminary to pursue a master's degree and really it was just a, a, an opportunity to escape. And I struggled. I struggled with trusting people. I struggled with, with nursing unforgiveness in my heart. And I, I had opportunities to forgive, to make things right, but I had hardened my heart over and over. And it wasn't until 2007, I mean, many years had passed by where we were getting ready to start this church here in our community. And we went off to a ministry conference in Dallas for training. And it was a conference that had over 3,000 people. And I'll never forget the, the opening service, the night we walked in, our team walked into the lobby and guess who I saw in the lobby? It was a guy we're gonna call, his name is, Tim, but he was the source of all of the betrayal and the lies and the pain. And there he was in Texas. I was like, God, are you serious? Keep the guy in Colorado for crying out loud. He's like, this is our state. And, and Stephanie was so nice. She went up to him and hugged him. And I just wanted to punch him in the throat. You know, I was like, these feelings came up inside of me. And so I, I completely ignored him. I walked outside. I was steaming. I was like, are you serious? And the next day, he came around, we had an open, another session, a general session, and then we had breakout sessions all over the church. And I chose an obscure topic. There's something about missions, and it was underneath a stairway. It was like a room of only 12 people. And I walked in, and guess who was sitting on the front row? Tim. Guess what I did? I turned around and walked out. I did. And then a couple hours later, we had lunch. And so all over the parking lot, there was like a dozen food trucks with these long lines. And I got in line and couldn't wait to have lunch. And the person in front of me, I guess they changed their mind and went to another line. So guess who was in front of me? Out of thousands of people, it was Tim. And we looked at each other and we knew we needed to have a moment. So we went to the far end of the parking lot and we began to fight each other. No, we didn't. <laughs> but we realized, we both realized this moment that God had orchestrated for us that we could not escape having this moment that we needed to humble ourselves, talk it out. There was tears that were shed and responsibility. We both took responsibility and we hugged it out and we forgave each other. It was a healing moment. And I, I was just like, the, the freedom that I had, I didn't realize the weight that this was causing me and, and, and the, the surrender to the Lord, the release through forgiveness 
forgiveness. It was really God's mercy and it was his grace. And this is why it was so important. I, I look back now and I believe 100% that God would not have blessed or anointed this, 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 new, this new church with, with unforgiveness still in my heart. I really believe that. And I believe that the Lord wants to do so much in in your life. But a lot of times we choose unforgiveness and bitterness and it becomes the lid to spiritual growth. It becomes the lid to opportunities that, that God wants to have in your life to bless others and ministry. And it robs you of, of intimacy within your relationship. It influences, it affects your relationships with other people. And the Lord wants to set you through, set you free through forgiveness. Turn with me in the gospel of Matthew chapter 18, and we're going to talk about the topic of forgiveness. It is one of the hardest things that we see in church. I see it happen in marriages and family. Like forgiveness is the hallmark. It's one of the hallmark messages to the kingdom of God. Jesus talked about this whole chapter. Matthew 18 is about it. But division is the hallmark message of darkness, the kingdom of darkness, and I've seen what happens when there is conflict and we don't resolve it and we don't choose forgiveness, but rather choose bitterness. And I've seen what can they do to marriages and I can see what it's done to families as the hearts of children are turned against the hearts of parents. I've seen what it can do to small groups. I've seen what it happens when we, we choose unforgiveness and we don't resolve it biblically and how it affects people's hearts. And instead of resolving and having hard conversations and humbling ourselves, I've seen people just leave the church, leave the small group, leave, walk out of marriages. And, and, and it is not the will of the Lord. His will is that we would be unified. His, his will for your marriage is that it would be strong and healthy. And it's not, conflict isn't a matter of if, it's when, right? And so how are we going to respond to it? And I know that some of you are here and the Holy Spirit's going to bring some offenses that you've made to others or has happened to you. And it's going to be a little painful. It's going to be hard. And, but we're going to go to God's word. And let's not just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. Amen? So Matthew 18, verse 21, Peter came up to Jesus and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him up to seven times. Is, is Peter referring to his brother, Andrew, or is he referring to someone else in his small group? Maybe his offense is, is to Matthew, the, the author of this, this gospel. Remember, he was a tax collector. He betrayed his own people. They despised tax collectors. They hated them. And so imagine the tension in their own relationships. Sometimes we think of Jesus and his apostles, like they were so holy that they would never fight each other. But the reality is, as you read through the gospel, you know that they had some moments where they fought each other instead of fighting for Jesus. Like they would struggle on who was going to be the greatest. And there was moments of conflict and Jesus had to bring correction. He brought re rebuke. And, and now Peter, he's... He's honest. He's in his own heart. He's like, how many times do we have to forgive? Whether it's the same offense or the same person offending him over and over. And he says up to seven times. Like why seven times? He, it's, it's, seven is the number of completion. But according to Jewish tradition, the mitzvah, you were, to, you were expected to forgive three times. So maybe Peter's saying seven times, seven times. Oh, is seven times, Lord? Like he's upping it, like he's holier. Like you just have to imagine like the, the conflict that these guys would have had with each other. 
I want to show you a clip from The Chosen, this, this season, second season. That they, Imagine you were one of the disciples sitting around the, the campfire when one of those fights happened. What about you? What do you mean? Has it been difficult for you all this time? The occupation, following Jewish law. My life has not been easy. Oh, it hasn't. What was more painful for you? Escaping Roman persecution by working for them or escaping your guilt with all the money? And now you're catching up on Torah and wanting to follow the law. Why now all of a sudden? Why not all the other times you had the chance? Simon? No, no, John, I want to know. Mary had horrible trauma. She didn't choose all that happened to her. What's your excuse? What do you want me to say? I don't know what you want from me. An apology. What? Simon's not wrong. He could be more delicate about it, but you did choose to work for them. And you made my life even harder than it already was. And you haven't apologized. No, no, don't say it. I don't want you to apologize. It doesn't matter. What would hearing him say sorry do? I won't forgive it anyway. What keeps putting you in authority? Who are you to forgive or not to forgive? What, you're on his side? No, of course not, but you've had your problems too. What about apologizing for what you almost did to us with their own? I didn't go through with it. I was trying to save my family's life, and I love you, John, but that's not something you have to worry about when Zeb and Salome are looking out for you. But you put me in a desperate position where I did things I would never have done otherwise. And I've repented for them. And John and James, I am sorry, but I didn't go through with it. What is your excuse? I was a successful businessman, and yet I was always behind. He wasn't your tax collector. You quit defending him. I want an answer. Hey, you're new. Do you even know what it's like to be Jewish? To suffer for centuries and centuries because of it, but to still commit to it? To protect our heritage even though it never stops being painful? Because the one comfort we have is to know that we're doing it together. That we're all suffering together. But if, if we just wait a little longer, if we hold tight, just a little more, we'll have rescue because we're chosen, all of us. And you betrayed that, and you spit on it! I can't forgive it. I'll never forgive it. All right. You said what you needed to say. Sit down, Simon. You sit down first. How many of you it makes, you, it makes you feel a little bit better knowing that the disciples fought a little bit? <laughs> but we had this unrealistic expectation that, no, they, they never would have fought. But they were human. They were people just like you and just like me. Sometimes we have unrealistic expectations when we come to a church, right? Like we put people on a pedestal that they're, or you even, you don't think that I'm going to let you down. Yeah, I promise you give me a left time, I will let you down. But it's, the, it's those moments that we are, when we do have conflict, when we choose to struggle, how are we going to respond to that? And so Peter, he's sincere. He's going, Jesus, how many times must I forgive? Seven times? And how did Jesus respond? He says, he looks at him and Jesus answers, 70 times seven. Uh, it's interesting because what he's referring to, if, you, if you're familiar with your text, Genesis chapter four, it talks about 
Cain's great-great-grandson named Lamech, who's the first poet, and he says how he was offended, and there was this young man that struck him, and as a result, he murdered him, and he avenged his great-great-great-grandfather's death 70 times seven. And so Jesus is alluding to this story, and he's saying, I want you to out-forgive evil. I want you to go the extra in a culture where it's an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth, where you take revenge. And and when someone hurts you, you hurt them back. That's like the culture during that time. He's saying, I want you to go above and beyond. I want you to love your enemies. I want you to forgive. Because I don't want you to choose the path of of darkness. I don't want you to choose the path of bitterness. And and so out of the 307 questions, this is one of them that's that's asked of Jesus 307 times in Jesus's life. It's recorded that he's asked questions. Only a few times he actually responded. And this is one of these times that he responded. 70 times seven, you forgive. You don't stop forgiving. I've been around long enough to see that, that the, one of the greatest marks of Christian maturity is how quickly and how constantly you forgive. And Jesus's expectation for you as his followers, as his children, is that you forgive. And it means so much to him that he would explain this in a story, in a parable. And then a very practical teaching of how to resolve conflict. He says in verse 23, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. This would have been about three lifetimes worth of salary. An insane amount of money. Verse 25 says, But as he was not able to pay... His master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw that what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you of all the debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity to you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the tortures until he should pay all that was due to him. Notice what Jesus says here. So surely my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his own heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Forgiveness is a choice. It's not based upon an emotion. It's not based upon an apology. It's not based on the degree of offense. It's a choice. It's a choice that we all must make because we've all, all of us, right? All of us are going to have conflict. All of us are going to have people that let us down, whether it's a, uh, an action or a, um, a word spoken where that wound gets into a heart, begins to fester, right? And, and so when that conflict happens, you have two choices. You can choose to forgive, you can pardon, you can cover it up, you can just release it, or you can become bitterness. And I wanna talk to you about the bitterness cycle. Bitterness 
is when you choose not to forgive and you hold that hurt in your life and it becomes a cycle. Like there is a, a path, this path that leads to death that the enemy wants you on as a result of, of bitterness. And so it starts with just a, a seed of hurt. This is where it begins, right here. When, when that expectation isn't met, when you choose to be offended and that just like forgiveness is a choice, choosing to be offended is a choice, right? You choose to struggle with it and, and, and you may not seem like it's a big deal or you might even say that, I, no, it's no big deal or, or I have forgiven, but over time you can tell whether or not you've forgiven and that, that hurt will lead to negativity. Like you will start to see people and everyone else through a lens of hurt where you start giving the benefit, stop giving the benefit of the doubt. You develop a critical spirit. You're marked by those closest to you know that you're complaining, that you're hardening heart a bit, and you just become negative. You, do, you stop trusting people, right? And so that negativity will lead to rebellion. This is where you start to have an independent spirit. You no longer submit to the Lord or to other people. Now, you'll say that you're teachable. You'll say that you will submit, but it really starts, it kind of shows itself through passive uh, a resistance or aggression. On the outside, you'll say the right things, but inwardly, you'll just kind of like, you just don't trust. And, you, and so you hold back and, and you'll hold your family members back or those closest to you from, from committing, from being maybe following the Lord. Maybe you start to kind of, there's areas of the scripture where you just pick and choose and, and you resist. The, the, the Lord's teaching. And, and so this rebellion will, will eventually lead to isolation. And the walls that you build up around you to preserve yourself become the walls that prevent you to, to find and discover healing that can happen through community. And so this is a, a, a lonely place. This is a place where you're, you're trying to protect yourself in, but you, you won't belong to a small group. You don't want to have, because you've been hurt by other people. If you've been hurt and betrayed in a marriage or someone had an affair on you, this is like, I'm never going to get in a marriage again. I'm not going to trust people again. And it, it becomes a, a lid from, from achieving intimacy with other people, but also with the Lord. It's a very dangerous place. Because given enough time, that isolation will lead to deception and you will be deceived. And you start to, you will say all the right things on the outside, but you've been deceived from the truth. And the enemy's got you on a path and you begin to justify the pain. And it becomes something that you, you, you control and it, you find comfort in that, that wound and that hurt. And so what happens is your heart is so hard and you're so deceived that you, you, you're not as tender to the things of the Lord. You're not as compassionate as you used to be. You don't, you don't give mercy and you start to, it's in a twisted way, you become God. It's a very dangerous place and it will lead to death. The, what's on the inside will start to manifest on the outside. How many of you have ever seen someone who is very bitter? Like their countenance, they have hard features and the wrinkles, the creases are a reflection of, of years of bitterness. And they're lonely, and they're isolated, and they're hard people. And, and, and even Job chapter five, verse two, it says, surely resentment destroys the fool and jealousy kills the simple. It will lead to anxiety and depression. And science will show that on this, this mental state of, of, of being hurt and bitter will affect you physically. 
You will see it. It'll spread like cancer in your bones. And the reason why this is a cycle is because hurt people will hurt others. And this is why Hebrews, it's very clear. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, it says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it, many become defiled. Because what happens a lot of times is those who you begin to share the offense with, they pick up that offense. And they, and they carry that, that bitterness. And, and it's just something that is so contagious. And so it's not just you that's being affected. It's you begin to hurt others. And it's a vicious cycle. And it's, just, it's such a damaging thing that the enemy uses to, to bring division in relationships, in the church. And that's why we've got to guard against it. And that's why we must heed the words of Jesus saying, Really, we, it's not optional. Forgiveness is not optional. In fact, in Jesus' words, the last verse in this, this, this chapter, Jesus says that your heavenly father, if you don't choose to forgive, he's not gonna forgive you. And where does he say forgiveness happens? Look at the last verse. Where does it happen? Forgiveness happens, Jesus says, in your heart. The heart in the Bible is a metaphor for the will. It is a choice. And the choice to forgive, no matter where you are at, on the bitterness cycle, there is a way out. There is hope. And that hope is through forgiveness. It's the only way. There is a not another way. It is to forgive. Doesn't matter how hard or how painful this forgive to, to cover, to annul, to pardon, to trust and just trust the Lord. And, and, and then we don't do it through our own efforts. If we're a, a follower of Christ, the way that we forgive, again, it's not based on apology. It's not based upon the degree of offense. It's not based upon an emotion. It's based on one thing. We must remember what Jesus did for us because we've all broken his heart, right? We've all, come, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've been like that sheep who's gone astray. So I want you to think about your sin for a second. I want you to think about how you broke the father's heart through lust, through pride, through greed, gossip. And you deserved a consequence to that sin. But how did God make it right? Your father loved you so much that he sent his son as a lamb to die on the cross for your sins. And Jesus, who was faultless, loved you so much to lay his life down. And as he hung on the cross, the words that are recorded in the gospel are what? Jesus said, Father, what did he say? Forgive them. Forgive them. That was at the heart. Through his blood, through the pain, it was out of his love for you that he forgave you. And so your memory of his forgiveness of you is how you should forgive others. That's the only way. It's based upon Christ's forgiveness of you. How many of you have been forgiven much? And so we are to forgive much as well. And what I'm saying, is, that, is it biblical? Colossians chapter three, verse 13 says, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. So you must remember, how did Jesus forgive you? Oh, that's right. I'm going to forgive others. I'm going to extend the mercy. I'm going to extend forgiveness constantly and quickly because it's the Lord's will. It honors the Lord. It's a mark of spiritual maturity. This is what will foster healing and unity in your marriage, in your family, in your small group, and in our church. 
Bible says, blessed are those who dwell in unity. Like he commands his blessings. Jesus, he said, as he prayed for us in John 17, he said, Father, just as we are one, may they be in one. Because the world is watching our love for each other, how we forgive. Our unity is a sign to unbelievers, the power of the gospel of what Jesus has done in our lives. And so Jesus tells this story. And after telling the story, he gets very practical on how to resolve conflict. Because how do we see it? How do we see it play out in the world? How do we see it play out sometimes in church? Like we'll disguise it as a prayer request, right? When we struggle, we're offended. We're like, man, you got to pray for me. You'll never believe what she did to me. Will you just pray for her, right? And it's like, it's, it's so deceptive and it's so dishonoring. And it's, it's just the breeding ground for the enemy to bring division. Or worse, we'll blast it on social media. I see, I've seen it over this past year. I've seen more of uh, people who are followers of Jesus they, all over the big C church and just share grievances and disagreements. And, and this is how Jesus, this is his method of resolving conflict. And I pledge to you today, that if someone comes to you saying, hey, John said this about, I want you to consider it a lie. And I make this pledge that if I ever struggle with something you've said or done, I'm gonna come to you directly. And I ask that you will do that with everybody else here as well, all right? Because this is what Jesus says. Jesus says here in verse 15, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him and a bunch of other people. Does it say that? No, it says you and him alone. And if he hears you, you have gained your brother. The goal is to win your brother, to win your sister, right? But if he will not hear you, take with you one or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. So he's saying, this is what I want you to do. The moment you choose to be offended, I want you to go directly, privately. If you need to pray, if you got to humble yourself, you don't go in defensively or trying to win an argument, but you want to win your brother or sister. And it's going to take humility. It's going to take a great amount of love. Maybe you lead with a way and maybe that you give the benefit of the doubt, but you say, hey, what you said here, what you did here, you may not be aware, but I'm struggling with it. And we just need to talk this out. We need to talk this out. You choose forgiveness, but if it doesn't work, it says, hey, bring someone else. Maybe bring a small group leader, someone who's unbiased, right? Not someone just on your side, but someone who's neutral. And, and, and you talk it out. Keep the, the circle as tight and as private as possible. But Jesus says, if, if that doesn't work, verse 17, he says, and if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. In our context, our church families at a size, this is why we value small groups so much. The best place would be to talk about it in your small group with believers. There's a multitude of where there's people like brothers and sisters. This is the family unit that, that we can hear it and, and that there can be healing and confession and forgiveness and this is what Jesus is saying. He goes, but if you, he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Some of you are like, yeah, finally. <laughs> finally, we can kick him out and treat him like a slug, right? Because that's how the world, and, and truthfully, in the, the world would treat pagans and heathen and tax collectors as the worst. But I want you, I want you to observe, how did Jesus treat sinners and tax collectors? How did Jesus treat Matthew? How did Jesus treat Zacchaeus? He said, follow me. He had fellowship with them. He had, his heart was to win them over. He pursued, he'd go the extra mile. He'd continue to love and encourage. That's the way of the kingdom. We're not to give up. Now, choosing forgiveness, it is a big deal. 
And as the Holy Spirit would bring an offense or maybe how you've offended someone else, it's time that you humble yourself and do your part. There's a couple of things I want you to, to be aware of because I know how difficult this can be. That in some cases, if statistics are true, that where there is physical abuse, sexual abuse, verbal abuse from someone who may not even be, still be alive, you may think, I can't forgive, but you can still choose to forgive. But I encourage you to, to get out. Like you gotta get to a place of safety and get help, and tell someone. There's some cases that even the Lord doesn't want you to, forgiveness isn't the same thing as reconciliation. I think the goal is reconciliation, but forgiveness is a choice that you can make, right? But that person may be so toxic and so hard and, and so like just being around them. And, and so forgiveness doesn't mean that you're gonna be in an intimate relationship. In some cases, the Lord doesn't want you, but you need to surrender and say, Lord, I, I give them to you. And if they're a healthy place and we, we can come together again, but until then, I'm gonna trust you with it because it's gonna destroy you mentally, emotionally. And, and so there are some, some cases that you gotta use wisdom and discernment in this, but, but the Lord will be honored and glorified that in all things, in all offenses, that we would choose forgiveness. It is the way of the kingdom. Any relation, some of you are running and you've been wounded in the past and you've carried it with you. Some of you, it's been in a relationship and it's affected your new marriage and it's time that you forgive. Some of you are here in this church and you've got baggage because you've been wounded in another church, but you didn't, you didn't forgive. And so you brought that over here, right? How you've, how you've exited there will have a big factor on how you enter here. And, 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 and you see your small group leader, you got people in the church that are, man, it, it, and you've got all this baggage and, and I understand it, it's painful. And, but until you forgive, it's not gonna be healthy. There's not gonna be the trust. There's not gonna be this, this unity that the Lord wants. And so it's even now as we are in his presence and in response to the word of God, may we again look to how Jesus forgave us. And through his power and grace and mercy, may we extend that, not based on how we feel, because we can feel justified, right? But may we just humble ourselves, choose forgiveness. Would you bow your heads? Father, we thank you that you forgave us of our offenses. And I pray that you would help us to have the courage and the faith to forgive others. As we are in your presence, as we wait upon you, I would ask that, that we would see the wisdom of your teaching, that we would refuse to give the enemy a seat at our table because we've been bitter. Forgive us for, for hardening our heart. I pray that in this moment, Lord, that you would soften hearts, that you'd make us tender again, humble again, open up our eyes where we've been deceived. Lord, if there are those that have, weren't even aware of how they've offended, may you bring the offense up that they can take their part, oh God, in making things right, making an apology. Just wait upon the Lord in the stillness and the silence of this moment as the Holy Spirit would bring a name, a face, an offense to the surface.
Father, help us to not just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. To glorify you, to find healing and health in our relationships and those that are around us through the power of forgiveness. Jesus' name. I have two practical challenges for you in the next 24 hours. The first is if you have been offended, if you've chosen to be offended and you're struggling with something, maybe it's multiple things, I want you to write out, maybe in a journal or a piece of paper, your notes on your phone, just the names and the offense, all right? And then I want you to write a letter. I want you to write a letter, okay, to that person in a spirit of humility and love. You may not have to go into the details, but just share what maybe the Lord's put in your heart in response of what Jesus has done and, and that you choose forgiveness and you're gonna set them free, all right? And I want you to take this letter and if it possible, get together with that person this week. You can read the letter or just share what the Lord's put in your heart. If you can do it in person, that's best. For some, that letter is gonna be written to someone who's passed away. Maybe you need to bury it or burn that letter. Or maybe you email or text a person or call them up, but reach out, all right? Just saying, hey, just want you to know we're good. I, I, I release you, I'm sorry, I held this in my heart. Or if you've got some offense that you've caused and the Lord's brought that, would you do your part? You'll never know the healing power that they can have in someone's life. You just take responsibility, humble yourself and make things. So I want you to make amends this week. That's, that's the practical challenge. The second part of this practical challenge is we can combat the urge or the temptation to not choose forgiveness, but rather choose bitterness, but through a culture of choosing gratitude and honor. And this is a month that we're spending a lot of time in emphasizing belonging to a small group. My greatest hope as a, as a pastor of this church is that you wouldn't just attend on Sundays and loosely be connected to our church, but you would find true friendship and spiritual growth and a family of believers who are not perfect, but there you can give care, receive care. You can make confession. You can have true friendship in small groups. And so we're trying to create a culture here. And the way that I want to encourage you to do this in the next 24 hours is I want you to do something public. Get on social media and I want you to honor either your small group leader or someone who has poured something spiritually in your life. Someone who has really influenced you and give them honor. Maybe talk about that, that friendship or that small group and what it's meant to you, okay? So we're gonna ask everybody in our church family, our leadership is gonna lead the way and our small group leaders or coaches are gonna do this. And I wanna encourage you to do this as well because I just have this vision of our church family of modeling this so well in our community of unity and healing. If we could be known of forgiveness quickly and constantly in our, in our marriages and our family. I believe the hearts of our children are going to be turned to fathers and fathers and mothers to our, our children. The healing and the restoration is going to be a powerful witness of, of who Jesus is. Amen. Let's guard unity in our church family. Let's protect it at all costs. We're going to do this by resolving conflict biblically. I want to take a moment in this service and honor one of our former small group leaders. He's still a small group. He's been part of our church family for a long time. And over the last several weeks, we have been praying for David Weddle. And if you know his story, I remember just earlier this year, I got the call and I talked to him on the phone. He was going to get a, a doctor, military doctor, got deployed to Afghanistan. 
and just had an expectation that this would be a, a time of Sabbath. And, 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 but no one would have guessed how ugly the turn hap, would happen. And, and David was one of the last military, because of being a doctor, they kept him there longer. And he witnessed a lot of things in that airport and helping others. And, but we prayed and God answered our prayers and he was moved out of Qatar. And on Friday, flew back to San Antonio and he's been reunited with his family. So David, he's here in this service. Will you and the Oedel family, will you stand to your feet? And we want to express our love, our appreciation to you for serving our country so well. You're an important part of our church family. We love you. We honor you. You mean the world to us, our friend, our brother. Thank you. You may be seated. Let's honor each other. And so again, that practical challenge, uh, I want us to get on social media and, and privately and then publicly, let's, let's honor and celebrate each other.